We are finishing the book of Genesis today. This is um, the end of the book of beginnings. And as we've been talking about, this is a book that was written, just like any book, it is not written to the characters in the story as they are. It is written to people after them looking back on this particular situation. And it, in particular, was a book given to the Exodus community, to those that have already been redeemed from Egypt when they were slaves. And they are given an account of what God has been up to, not just at that moment, but what he has been up to all along, in the beginning, in the middle, all so that they would have hope in him towards the end of the story. So this is kind of like, Genesis is like the prequel to the Bible. Um, it's like the Star Wars 1, 2, and 3 after 4, 5, and 6 have already come out. Um, so we have the Exodus and then we have this book of Genesis given after the fact to set some context. And we're going to cover a big section today. And that's because there's a couple different things I want us to see um, all together at the same time. But this really is a transition, concluding what had been done in Genesis and now is transitioning and getting us ready for the story of the Exodus, which is just about to happen in the next, in the next book. So with all that being said, then here's a, some select verses from chapters 47 through 50, um, just to get a sense of what is happening. So this is um, God's word. Now there was no food in the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give us your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. But let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he answered, I will do as you have said. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and blessed Joseph and said, The God whom, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, 
to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray quickly. Father, we ask that you would be with us in this time of study, that you would teach us your word. You would reassure us of the good news that you have, that you would call us to deeper fellowship with you and deeper trust in you, and that you would, even as we are, even as we reflect on our own lives now and whatever situations that we're in, that you would impress upon us the presence of Christ now, the power of the cross, and the hope that he provides that can only come through him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we approach this passage, I was um, pondering and thinking about it over the last week, and it was on Wednesday night. Lauren and I had a, we had a, a coupon to get these HelloFresh meals. Uh, did y'all ever get those? Or Blue Apron meals? They're like these pre-packaged meals that a chef makes that um, comes up with, and you cook it yourself. But everything's in these perfectly um, little packages, so all you do is whip it up together. So we were doing that, and um, we were enjoying ourselves. We got the step-up boxed wine that's like $2 more expensive than the normal box. And so we're sitting there with our meal, uh, step-up from the typical bean burrito on a Wednesday night, eating a good meal um, with our slightly better boxed wine. And it was really great. It's like, (laughs) in that moment, there was nothing better than this. Like, there, there might be such a thing as fine dining out there somewhere or fine wine that comes out of France or whatever, or that comes out of a bottle. Um, but in that moment, um, I, we could have settled in that place and been perfectly happy. Like, there was, there was nothing better than that. Um, for 10 minutes... And then one of those uh, conversation topics came up that we know that we should not wade into, but sometimes uh, that happens anyways. One of those unresolved deals that every time we talk about it, it goes around and around and around and we never seem to get anywhere. And it quickly went from, I can take this, um, I'm happy here just the way that it is, to everything is hopeless, this will never be worked out, Um, there is no good in the world. And, that's how, and I looked at Laura and I said, you know, this is going to be a sermon illustration on Sunday, right? <laughs> yes. So this, this is kind of, a, in a lot of ways, this is what life is like. But this, it really illustrates the situation that the Israelites were here um, in the promised land. Because they, not in the promised land, in Egypt. They were promised a land that was Canaan. A land that was going to be good, that was going to be flowing with milk and honey, that was going to be um, a wonderful sign of God's presence and protection for the people of God. And yet, because of this famine, and God, through his own sovereignty, he raised up Joseph, uh, saving not only his own people, but Egypt as a whole. And they all moved away from the promised land and settled down in Egypt. And for a time, things were really great for them. They are multiplying. Um, They have 
you know, as one of their own people, the second in command over the most uh, prosperous nation in the world. Like, this isn't quite all that it could be. It's not all that God promised. But for the time, then this is just fine. Uh, This could be a good situation uh, for them to settle down in. And it would not be long. Um, The thing overshadowing this whole narrative is that the Exodus is coming. Is that on the other side of this, um, there is a new Pharaoh that is about to come to power uh, that we know about and that the readers of the story knew about that was not going to maintain this good situation that was going to enslave God's people. And they saw great hardship. And so this, as, as we think about this, that's kind of an illustration for, I think, the, the state of mind where um, the characters in our story are in. And it's also an illustration for life. It's the, we're always caught in between this, I think, this choice of, do I settle? Do I take the little bits of good that I can? Um, or... Do I hold out good for, hope for more? And on the other hand, do I sink into the despair when things are, are terrible? Or do I hold out hope that maybe this is not the full end of the story either? That maybe there could be something else that God might be up to to bring us, to bring us out of. And what I want us to see here as we go through and study this... Um, I've got three points, but if you're going to take, if I could sum, summarize this entire sermon in a nutshell, be this. And that we're going to end up seeing how this relates to the cross. Um, but the cross is actually a guarantee of complete harmony between God and creation. And we're going to unpack this as we go. But it is a promise of something that is far more than we can imagine. It is a promise of something that is far more than temporary comforts. It is a promise that through Christ, everything can be and will be made whole in complete harmony between God and creation. But because that is the case, because we are given the cross as this sign of harmony between God and creation, then that puts a calling on us that we would actually invest both in the good times and in the hard times, not in the present, but in the new creation that's to come. Because Christ is a guarantee of perfect harmony between God and creation, we have a calling on us to invest in the new creation that we are promised. Here's how we're going to look at that. First, we're just going to look at life in the land as the first point. Second, we're going to look at the promise of a future land. And third, we're going to look at the task that we've been given in between. So let's start one, look at life in the present land. And there's two angles I want to look at this. First, through the perspective of Joseph's family, and second, through the perspective of the Exodus community. But let's think about Joseph first. So as I said a second ago, Joseph is in a situation in the present land of where he has been delivered. He has experienced great hardship. His life was up and down into one a good situation, down into a bad situation. But we saw in a very miraculous way how God was behind it all the time. And he was using those things not as a way to destroy Joseph, but actually to, through him, bring life to the people of God and the people in Egypt as a whole. So Joseph has been delivered in the past, and now he is in a situation of prosperity. He's been delivered... And we see in here, even in this passage that we just read, that his brothers have been delivered from their own sin. 
that they committed against Joseph. The nations have been delivered against starvation. Um, even the people of God have been delivered from obscurity, and that now they went from a, pe- a small wandering people without a land to now they have a stake in the greatest nation on earth. God has moved very powerfully in Joseph's family, and he has put them in um, from a situation of deliverance, and he has put them in a situation of prosperity. But the interesting thing about this is that all along... Egypt is not the final destination for God's people. There was always a new destination that was going to come, that that they were called to, that God had promised for them. So the life for Joseph in the present land is, we see this tension of, does the past deliverance of God, is that allowing them to just remain, to settle in the situation that they are in in Egypt? That they are going to lean on what God has done there, and then settle with as much good that they can get from that? Or are they going to long for something more? Are they going to remember the promises that were made? Are they going to look to him to be called out of that prosperity to a fullness that God has already promised? So that's Joseph. Joseph's temptation is going to be to settle, but then at the same time we have think about this through the lens of the Exodus community. That they were... There in recent memory was that they were, this situation of prosperity didn't last. But in just a little while, a new Pharaoh was going to come to power and he was going to forget um, the God of the Israelites. He was going to forget the promises made to the, to the people of God by the other Pharaoh and he was going to enslave them. And there's an interesting verse. It's, it's sad and powerful. When you get to chapter 6 of Exodus, verse 9, then Moses has been sent by God to proclaim the good news that God is going to deliver them. But it says that they could not hear what God was going to say because of their broken spirits and their harsh slavery. So just as much as there's a situation of prosperity that's going to be a temptation to settle, there is also a situation of great hardship that can be so hard that there is no light seemingly at the end of this tunnel, that there is no way out. There is no hope of how this situation can be rectified. And when we think about this and relate this to us, you know, we don't probably know what it's like to be enslaved to this degree or have the prosperity of a great king like this, but we know a little bit about what this is like. As I just, you think about your lives, your life and the ups and downs, how we go out of, I'm in a pretty good situation, I can sit here, I can live with this, um, I'm fine right here to the other side of, there's no hope. Things are just too broken. There is no solution to this situation that is so crushing on the inside that even the prospect of, of having hope seems like a step too far. You know, I was thinking about this this week. Uh, it There's really something to this. So one of the people that I admire in this is Laura's dad, Bill May. He, he would say all the time when we talked about heaven or a future land that, you know, if I could just be on my farm and I can have my family all around me and be outside in the evening and sun setting and then the train of God come by, I would just might be tempted to not jump on, but just to stay right there. And I say that because that is a special thing about him and the way that he loves his family um, and his farm and his land and all of those things. 
I was walking in the woods this, this week, and we got some of those cool mornings, and it was just like, I could just sit here and tune out everything else and be just perfectly happy uh, with this. We might find ourselves in a situation where our life is, life is going well, um, that we appreciate our own deliverance from sin and our position before God, but at the same time, just where we are, we kind of like it. Like, I think I would like to stay right here. I think I would like to maintain the pleasures that I have right now, the security I, I have now, and not think about anything else. And we can say the same thing for the opposite. So this is just to say that life, we are in life in the present land now. We are in between the deliverance of Christ and we are looking ahead to the promise of a new land just like these characters in this story. But there it moves. So as I've hinted at so far that there is, that there is something else other than the present that God is working on this story and has always been this promise of a new land. So at the same time, we have life in the present land, this tension between settling with the goodness that's there, despairing against the hardness. We also have in the background a promise, and this promise of something that is greater that God is going to work, a promise of a future land. And to understand this, we need to understand a little bit about the land of Canaan, uh, the promised land, what that meant here in the Old Testament. It might sound good for wandering people to have a land. Um, It gives... uh, They don't have to wander anymore, that they have a sense of stability, uh, political identity, that kind of thing. But this is actually picking up on a much bigger theme that is going on through the whole Bible that actually started with the beginning, with Genesis 1 and creation. And that is, this is a story about a creation that was made good, where everything was in complete harmony between God and his creation. Everything worked the way it was supposed to. There was perfect relationship. There was perfect economic prosperity. Uh, There was perfect worship. Everything was perfect the way it was intended to be. But then the story goes that it didn't stay that way because human beings rebelled against God that all of those relationships broke. That with the creation, with relationships with each other, with relationships between people and God, like there was a fracturing that went through every aspect of creation. And the special part about this story, when we think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, is this is the story of God not giving up on the original story. It is not the start of a new story, but this is a way where God said, I made a creation, I made a commitment to it, and because human beings broke it, I will not stop. I'm going to enter in and I'm going to promise a new creation. And what that, how that was worked out in the beginning was this promise of a new land of Canaan. That this land was more than just a land where they could live on. This, especially when we unpack the Old Testament law, that this was a land where there was going to be political fairness where there was going to be an identity, where the people of God are going to claim that they are the people of God, that they are going to have a sense of security, that the way that the laws work are going to reflect the goodness of God. There's a political harmony. There's an economic harmony where the land is used sustainably, where those that have and those have not, where there's enough for everybody. There's a social harmony about justice and relationships. And there's a spiritual harmony 
where this is the place where the temple is, this is where God dwells. That the people who live in this land live in the presence of God. So what the land of Canaan is, is that it is a land that is a symbol of, once again, God not giving up on his original plan of creation. But this is a symbol of the complete harmony, again, between God and creation. He has not given up on this. He is continuing the story that way. So regardless of wherever Joseph and his family are in Egypt, they are always in an incomplete situation. There is always something more that God is working out that is going to be complete in a way that they could never achieve on their own. And as we follow this story on, that when, especially when we look at this in the terms of the New Testament, is that what was started as one particular land is expanded not just to one land, not just to one nation, but to all places, to all lands, and to all things. In fact, if we look, I'm not going to read it now, but if you look through the New Testament, particularly in Colossians chapter 1, the way that it talks about what Christ did on the cross is that as Christ, when his death and resurrection on the cross makes peace between God and man, between God and creation, he reconciled not just people as sinners to himself, but all things to God. That Christ became the king, not of just the people of God, but over all things, over the entire earth, over every relationship, over every aspect of life. That in him, he is reconciling not just sinners to himself, but he is reconciling all things to be made new again until we get to the new creation. That means through the cross, through what Christ has done, there is the promise of a new land still. That whatever goodness we can have now, whatever we can settle, whatever we can settle with, we think we can make us happy. That what Christ has done on the cross is he has made a way and he has made a promise that he will not stop until there is complete harmony between God and creation. And even as we despair, even as we think there is no hope, that there is no goodness, there is nothing positive that is going to come, there is no way I can get out of my own situation, we are given the cross as a promise that even death, as death did not hold him down, that he has reconciled all things to himself, even that situation. That through him, through his power, he is able to make all things new. And that's why we read this passage from Revelation 21 earlier in the service, because this gives us the vision of what of the new land that the cross calls us towards. God is about redeeming all things to himself. He is about new creation. He has given us the promise of a new land, the defeat of death, the defeat of every barrier to himself. This is a story about Christ, not what we can or we cannot do. So this leaves us with the task, what does that mean? Like, this is good to recognize where we are. It is good to recognize what the gospel includes, what the good news is. But what does that mean for us? Because we are left in the in-between. Where we have the cross, we have Christ's deliverance, his redemption of us behind. And we have the promise of a new land that is ahead. And yet, we live in the in-between moment. It's like we are still in Egypt. 
We have been redeemed and we are waiting for the promised land. What does that mean for us? There's just a few things I want to point out here. And then I have a few reflections of um, ways we can be creative about this. First, let me draw our attention to Joseph. You will find chapter 47 a little funny, uh, maybe even a little disturbing about Joseph's policies of buying up all the land for Egypt. Uh, I think it's a little bit, it it puts some questions in my mind about what he was up to. Uh, And the main reason is is because we are looking back at this through modern eyes, essentially. So there was a famine, and if you caught it, we were reading that the people didn't have enough money, and so they started trading their livestock, and they started trading their land and even themselves to Pharaoh uh, through Joseph's creativity. Um, So because of the famine... All of those things, even people, end up in Pharaoh's possession. However, there's something creative in here that Joseph is doing that um, is a little bit hard for us to get our minds around just because we don't live in this context. But what Joseph is using his administration to accomplish two things. He provides for the people in a way that even they request, and he gives them an abundance over what they had before and what farmers usually get in this age. And at the same time, he's serving his master Pharaoh in a very creative way, and that he is building up the power of this nation. He is blessing this nation. It is incomplete because Joseph is not Christ. However, when we look at this, this is viewed uh, from the perspective of the audience that this is a good thing that Joseph did. He was helpful to those that needed, and he was helpful to his empire. And the thing that we are to take away from this is that Joseph, what he did in the land in between is he did not lean on the promise and check out of the present. But he actually used every bit of his effort and every bit of his creativity in the present to bless the people around him exactly where he was. Even a nation that worshipped other idols and that was not a nation that was not God's chosen people. He didn't sit behind, but he actually used whatever resources he had to bring blessing to the place where he was to bring life. This is not to say that in any way he served the idols of the land. No, he provided blessing. He provided the kind of life that he could give to these people through his own ingenuity and creativity. And that's for a lot of us, in our jobs, in our homes, in wherever we are, this is what it's like. This is what it's like to live in between. It is a task of proclaiming, claiming the reality that the new land is there to come. Claiming that for ourselves, taking hope and security in that, but also proclaiming it in the way that we work, in the way that we live and we think, and we bless others in the here and now. It is not just a task of spiritual heroism. It's a task of blessing. And this is actually one of the fun parts about being part of the people of God, is that this is a very creative endeavor that is different in every context. It is different in every job. It is different for every person with different gifts. But there is a calling as a part of the people of God to think seriously about our own resources, about our own abilities, and actually use them to give life to others. And I think Joseph is a great example of that. But there's also Jacob. Jacob says, if you caught this, one of the main themes as we are moving to the promised land 
is Jacob's, is Jacob's request, also named Israel here. He says, he comes to Pharaoh, he enjoys the blessing, the prosperity that is there, but he says, Joseph, what I want you to do is, when I die, do not bury me in Egypt, but I want you to take my bones and put them in the promised land. And that's important in two ways. One, because he recognizes that he is going to die shy of the promised land. There are some things that cannot be mended. There are some areas of brokenness that will not be fixed this side of heaven. And he looked at that square in the face and pretty much acknowledged, I'm going to die before I get there. But what he does with that is he says, that be the case, I want you to carry my bones and I want you to bury them in the promised land as a testament that where my hope, my dreams, my courage, all that invested is not in the pleasures of now, but it is in the new creation that is to come. It is in the new land. He says, even in death, I want you to put my bones in the new land, not here in this land. It is a statement of faith that whatever happens now, God is going to deliver on his promise. That he is going to act and he is going to bring this new reality to be. It is a wonderful reminder of the promises of God and it is a wonderful statement of faith, I think, on his part. And what is this, as we just stop and reflect on this, what does that look like? What does it actually look like in the here and now to invest in a metaphorical sense to say, what would it mean for our, to, our own bones to be put in the new creation and not in the present land? This could look like a number of ways. But one thing that hit me um, today, so Lauren likes to follow um, on Instagram a lot of families that have special needs kids that are, um, they have difficult lives, their families do, and they have to give themselves away uh, for the sake of their kids. And there is more joy in these people than you will ever find in someone who is just living in prosperity. But this is like the way that they give themselves up for these kids is like a way of saying that what is really valuable is this new land that is to come. What is really valuable here is what God can do about the story of new creation. It is not about what seems valuable here and now. It is not about the stress or the strain of the here and now. That act of giving oneself away for the other is an investment in the new creation, not in the now. It also is the same way when you think about your own life. If you think about those areas in there that you think are just too far gone, they're too broken, they are never going to change. You know what? They might not. You might be struggling that for your entire life. Your personality might be bent this way your entire life. But there is something about being able to say that this is true of me, this is broken, this is not right. I recognize I will not, never be the full package until the end. However, I would like to change. I would not, like to not stay and resign myself to where I am. I would like to repent. I would like to ask for help. I would like to ask for forgiveness. 
There is nothing like asking for forgiveness in that self-away attitude that is an investment on the new creation that is to come rather than in the present. Any act of self-away servitude, of hanging in with a church that is at times messy, with messy people, that this is a place that Christ has named, that this is my body, this is my bride that I love, that I have put my cross on top of, that regardless of how messy it is, that this is where he has promised to work out his new creation. And so we hang in there with each other. That's what it looks like to lay your bones in the new creation. The hope of this, the reason that we can do it, is because we live out this reality in between the past redemption and the future hope living in the shadow of the cross. I love this quote that is on the front of the worship folder that pretty much says, when we think about the new creation, there is nothing that was going to be in there that it will be there apart from the cross. It is only through the cross that any good will come. And it is only through the cross that everything bad, everything evil, all sin, all rebellion will be done away with. But what you have as the people of God, in addition to the promise of what God is going to do, is that you have been marked by the cross of Jesus Christ here in the present. That you have the freedom to live that out in creativity and looking to Him in hope and the cross because the cross is a guarantee that He has defeated everything all the way to death. He has risen from the dead. He will finish the job. He will finish the job out there. He will in here. He will finish the job even inside of you. And if that is true, that is good news that is worth holding out for, that is worth moving out of ourselves for, that is a news that is worth everything we have. Let's pray that Christ might impress that upon us and comfort us that we might have that kind of hope in him. Your Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the cross. Uh, Thank you for Jesus that was sent for us. We pray that you would comfort us in that, that we, wherever we are, wherever we are tempted to settle for less and wherever we are tempted to despair, that the cross would be what defines us, that we would find hope there and that we would be motivated not to proclaim ourselves, but to proclaim that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.